During World War I, British and German troops were fighting throughout Europe. And in 1914, Christmas Eve draw near as forces engaged in gunfire and artillery fire along the Western front of the war. And in the darkness of Christmas Eve, the landscape thick with the smoke of artillery and gunpowder burning soldiers' eyes. Soldiers in foxholes on either side started singing Christmas carols and lighting candles. And the shooting stopped. And gradually enemies ventured out of their foxholes to greet each other in no man's land. Sworn enemies exchanged gifts, sang songs, shared food with one another. A soccer game broke out among the soldiers. But the Christmas truce of 1914 wouldn't last. The day after Christmas Day, the fighting resumed, and generals on both sides wrote up executive orders forbidding any more Christmas truces during the war. Our world seems like it's in a constant state of conflict. According to one account, there are currently more than 110 armed conflicts around the world today. In Israel and Gaza, more than 15,000 people have died in the last eight weeks. According to the New York Times, half a million people have died in Ukraine since Russia's invasion. But it's not just the world out there that's in conflict. We see it all around us. We see violence and hatred, conflict within our own communities. Just this year, there have been 39 mass shootings in the U.S., we see conflict and division in our schools and in our politics, in our homes and in our marriages, in our workplaces, in our churches. And today we arrive on the second Sunday of Advent, that season in the Christian calendar when we prepare ourselves to celebrate Christmas. And during Advent, we're calling this a light in the darkness. During Advent, we honestly face the darkness of our world and prepare ourselves for Christ's arrival, Christ's first arrival, which is what Christmas is all about, and then his second arrival, his second coming at the end of history when he makes all things new. These two arrivals of Jesus are the focus of Advent. And last week, we looked at Mary's story. And we saw how the light of hope meets us in the darkness of despair. Mary's story reminds us that hope means waiting. But hope is active. It's not passive. And this second Sunday of Advent is about peace. Peace in the chaos of conflict. And to explore that theme of peace, we're going to look at the story of the shepherds from Luke chapter 2. It's hard to imagine peace today. Peace seems like a far-off fantasy, a pie-in-the-sky idealism reserved for 
counter-war protesters in the 1960s, but to the shepherds in the story, the light of peace appeared in the darkness of chaos. So if you're able, would you stand as we hear the shepherd's story from Luke chapter two? We already heard part of this, but we're gonna look at verses eight through 18. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. You can be seated. Shepherds were common in the ancient world. The job of a shepherd was to provide food, water, and protection for farm animals. Back then, animals like sheep and goats. And yet, as common as shepherds were, most people looked at shepherds as kind of oddballs. Anyone who would be willing to spend weeks living outside, away from friends and family, all alone with these farm animals, were viewed as a little socially awkward. Shepherds were often characterized as dishonest and untrustworthy. On the social and economic scale of the day, shepherds were among the poorest of professions. And this particular group of shepherds are tending their sheep outside the city of Bethlehem, the house of David, when an angel of the Lord appears to them. And the angel said, and we've already heard it twice this morning, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. We've probably seen Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, printed on countless Christmas cards, read in church, posted on signs. But what a lot of people don't know is that the angels' words to the shepherds in Luke 2 are very similar to what the Roman government back then said about the Roman emperor. In fact, archaeologists have discovered a Roman inscription on stone that was inscribed on stone just a few years before Jesus was born. And this inscription proclaims that the birth of the Roman emperor, the Caesar, was good news of great joy for all the people living in the Roman Empire. 
Now, this parallel between the angel's words to the shepherds here in Luke 2 and that Roman inscription is unmistakable. The angel was telling these shepherds that this baby wrapped in cloths and lying in the manger was the true Lord, not the Roman emperor. Then, as we read in verse 14, an entire choir of angels breaks out in song, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace on those on whom God's favor rests. On earth peace on those on whom the favor of God rests. The light of peace is dawned into the chaos of darkness. Now, a couple of months ago, my stepdaughter uh, who lives in Missouri called me and she asked me a question. How often do you think about the Roman Empire? <laughs> Apparently, there was a TikTok trend at the time where women asked guys in their lives, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? And apparently, a lot of people think about the Roman Empire these days. Um, and if, so if you find yourself thinking about the Roman Empire, here's a bit more to think about. The Roman Empire had their own version of peace on earth. And the Roman version of peace went something like this. The world had once been a place of chaos and conflict and despair. For centuries, Rome had been divided by civil wars and infighting and chaos and hatred. But according to Roman propaganda, the Roman gods raised up a great military general named Julius Caesar. And Julius Caesar was divinely anointed by the Roman gods to bring peace on earth. But instead of receiving Caesar's divine peace, the Roman Senate plotted to assassinate Caesar. And Julius Caesar was famously murdered by his friend Brutus. And that murder is where we get the phrase stabbed in the back, since that's how Brutus did it. And this sent the Roman government at the time into chaos. And out of that chaos, Julius Caesar's adopted son, Octavius, emerged and set himself up as the one sole and true ruler of Rome, the emperor. Octavius called himself Caesar Augustus, which is Latin for the great Caesar. And that's when Rome went from being a Senate-led republic to being an imperial empire. And this empire that began with Octavius would last nearly 500 years. It would expand its rule in every direction, colonies, colonizing other nations and peoples. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Israel under the Roman Empire's occupation during the reign of the second emperor, Tiberius Caesar. Now, according to the official Roman propaganda, the Caesars, beginning with Octavius, brought peace on earth. They brought law and order where there had once been anarchy and chaos. They built roads so people could travel between the cities throughout the empire. Their engineers designed aqueducts so people could have access to water. They established police forces and fire departments for public safety. 
They introduced the wisdom of Greek philosophers like Plato and Aristotle to the rest of the world. Under the Caesars, Rome would become one of the largest empires in history, encompassing more than 5 million square miles from Spain in the west to Egypt and Israel in the east. And at its height, nearly a quarter of the ancient world's population lived under the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire's message was a gospel of peace. This peace was called the Pax Romana, which is Latin for the peace of Rome. And whenever they conquered and colonized a new people, the Roman soldiers would build a monument with the words Pax Romana, claiming that place under the peace of Rome. But the Pax Romana was a lie. The Roman Empire was brutal, corrupt, Violent. The Roman government taxed non-Romans 50% of their income in order to drive them into poverty and keep them there. And the Roman government brutally tortured anyone who was perceived to be a threat to the Pax Romana. That's why they crucified Jesus. And the government insisted that everyone in the empire acknowledge that the emperor... Caesar was their Lord. Now, the Roman concept of peace was simply the absence of conflict. If you look at the Greek word for peace, irene, and then the Latin word for peace, pax, um, both mean an end to hostility, like a ceasefire or a truce. In a ceasefire, the cause of the conflict isn't Solved. It's like the, the World War I Christmas truce of 1914. People just stopped firing their guns at each other. And that's as far as the Roman concept of peace went. But the Bible's concept of peace is much richer. The most common word for peace in the Bible is the Hebrew word, the word shalom. And it has a broad range of meaning, but the word shalom implies that the problems that caused a conflict in the first place have been addressed. That people who are at war with one another another have been reconciled. That the original cause of the conflict has been solved. Shalom implies reconciliation, restoration, healing. The Romans brought their brand of peace, the Pax Romana, simply by being the biggest and baddest player on the board, like like a gang with the most people and the most guns. But the choir of angels in Luke chapter 2 announces to these obscure shepherds that true peace has come into the darkness of chaos. The light of peace has dawned in a world of conflict through the birth of Christ. What does this mean for us today? We live our Christian life in between Christ's first arrival and his second arrival at the end of history. We live in between the two advents of Jesus. And the Bible is filled with promises about how the second advent of Jesus will bring 
peace that will be far more than a truce or a ceasefire. Christ will bring shalom. But until that day, how do we lean in to the peace of Advent? Let me mention just a couple of ways. Advent reminds us that peace on earth starts in heaven. Peace on earth starts in heaven. According to the Bible, our chaos and conflict on earth is ultimately caused by a lack of peace with our creator. The entrance of sin into the world in Genesis chapter 3, since that happened, the human race as a race has been at war with God. And this broken relationship with the God who made us created an opening, a beachhead for hatred and violence and war with each other. That's why the beginning of peace is peace with God. That's why the angel calls Jesus the Savior, because the human race needed saving. Until we find peace with God, reconciliation with this God who created us, peace among people will be fleeting. Peace on earth starts in heaven with peace with God. Secondly, once we've found peace with God, Advent invites, invites us to become people of peace, people who seek peace in our relationships, in our communities, in our world, and not just a ceasefire or a truce, although that's certainly better than outright war, but people who seek shalom. Now, this side of Christ's second Advent, the peace we seek will be imperfect. It will be partial. It will be fleeting. Until Christ returns as the Prince of Peace, sin will continue to plague our world with wars and hatred and division. But as disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, we can create little pockets of peace, spaces where reconciliation can begin to occur, where enemies can become friends, where hostilities can be healed. As Romans 12, 18 tells us as Christians, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The Christian church ought to be a place of shalom, a place where people who seem like they should be on opposite sides can find common ground, not because they agree, but because they share a common faith in Jesus. You know, one of the great tragedies of the recent political division in our culture today is how churches have become identified with particular brands of partisan politics. You know, there was a time in church life in America that lasted a very long time where people of all different kinds of political parties could live at peace with each other, not because they agreed, but because of their common commitment to Jesus. It wasn't always easy. It wasn't perfect. But it was possible, even typical in churches. But the data seems to be suggesting that's becoming less and less common today. More and more people choose their church more about their partisan politics than whether their church is faithful to the gospel. 
or sharing the love of God with their community or teaching accurately from the scriptures. The church can be a place where rivals can be reconciled, where enemies can become friends, where barriers that divide us out in our world and in our culture can be bridged because Christ's peace that dawned through the birth of Christ can turn us into people of shalom. Advent invites us to seek peace. But lastly, Advent also calls us to share Christ's peace with others. To not just seek it amongst ourselves, but to share it with the world around us. Verse 17 says, after the shepherds saw Jesus, they spread the word. And verse 18 says that the people who heard the shepherd's story were amazed by it. The light of God's peace wasn't meant to be held to ourselves. It was meant to be shared. And even though people thought the shepherds were disreputable and odd, untrustworthy and dishonest, given to hallucinations over those long nights living in the fields away from people, they still shared what they had seen and what they experienced with those around them. And the people were amazed. Advent is a season of invitation. It's a season for us to share the peace of Jesus with those around us. Not merely to tell them Merry Christmas, though that's good, or to invite them to church, that's good too. But to actually share the peace of Christ. Because we live in a world filled with conflict and chaos. We see it in nations at war with each other. We can see it in our politics and in our families. We see it on social media and in our schools. We even sometimes see it in churches, torn apart by conflict. Jesus came into the chaos of conflict to bring God's peace to those on whom God's favor rests. So let's not settle for cheap imitations of peace. Let's not believe propaganda, whether it comes from the ancient Romans or anyone else. Peace will not be found in any political body or in a ceasefire or truce or in a bottle or in a bank account. It can only be found in the Prince of Peace, the one who came to our world. Peace on earth starts in heaven with reconciliation with our creator. And that leads us to become people who seek peace in our lives and who share the peace of Christ with those around us. Part of our mission here at Glenkirk is to invite everyone to join us in the journey of following Jesus. We see that word invite on the wall every time we come in on a Sunday morning. And inviting is more than sending people a postcard in the mail, inviting them to Glenkirk, although we did that this weekend. It's more than passing out a thousand invitations at the Christmas parade, although we did that yesterday. Inviting is a way of life. It's a lifestyle of hospitality towards other people. A lifestyle where we open ourselves to those who don't yet know Christ's peace 
and invite them in. And Advent is a season of invitation. Who are you inviting into your Advent peace on this second Sunday of Advent? Because I can think of no better way to spend the second Sunday of Advent than doing what the angels or what the shepherds did and sharing the message of peace with any who would listen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for coming into the darkness of chaos and conflict. And Lord, we acknowledge that the message of peace that Jesus brings is a counter message to the peace that Rome claimed, the peace that was enforced with brutality and violence, corruption and dishonesty. And yet, Lord, to these unnamed, humble shepherds, you revealed the true peace. Peace with you through faith in Jesus that would transform us into people of shalom. God, we know that we have a long way to go to become those kinds of people. But we tell you today in prayer that we want to become those kinds of people. Help us be like the shepherds to share the good news of peace with God and peace on earth to all in whom your favor rests with those around us. God, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.